the second reading from Paul's letter to Titus addresses us in a very uh, wonderful way this morning. He said, Beloved, the grace of God has appeared. The grace of God has appeared. The grace of God has appeared. Amen. Amen. The grace of God has appeared. And it appears for a purpose. For the salvation of all men. Something has happened. We are celebrating the child Jesus. We are celebrating his birth. We are celebrating the birth of grace. We are celebrating the life of grace. We are celebrating God who has poured out himself on us. We are celebrating that finally humanity has reconciled its divinity. The lacuna, the gap between man and God has been filled up with grace. Man can freely walk into God and God can freely walk into man. It's a great celebration of the mystery of life. And so our transient realm now, which is this temporary world, and our eternity has become one. And so everybody has been taken away. Every obstacle of man has been taken away. And above all, the greatest enemy of man, darkness, death, and the grave have been taken away. No one of the Bible says in the first reading, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Light is a sign of hope. Light is a sign that direction has come. Light is a sign of life. When there is light, there is everything good. When there is darkness, there is everything bad. And as we know, as darkness cannot withhold the structure of light, as light has come, darkness has lost his dominion. Amen. And so darkness cannot brag again. Before then, darkness will brag. Darkness will make the headlines. But now light has come. You see, they have seen a great light. And all these are very, very symbolical. You will see everywhere Christmas light, Christmas light. After Christmas, now this light, you won't see it again. You see the point? Every street you go to, everywhere there's this light shining, you know? It's a very symbolic thing. But I tell you, it's more than being a symbolic thing. It is spiritual. It is spiritual. To be participators in the light of Christ. And Jesus told us in John chapter 8, I think verse 24, he said, I am the light of the world. What an audacious statement. I am the light of this world. So without me, this world will be in darkness. Okay? This world will be in darkness. And so now that has come, he said, I am the light of this world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness. A new government has come. A new government. That same first, first reading now says, for us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. The government of light. The government of light has arrived. And so darkness has lost his grips. Darkness has met his water low. We will walk in the dividend of the government of light in the name of Jesus Christ. Darkness will have no power over us again. Over our families, over our children, over our world. In the name of Jesus Christ. And he says that those who dwell in a land of deep darkness. Wow. There are those who walk in darkness. And there are those who dwell in a land of deep 
darkness. To them has light shined. Wow. The light visited them. Oh. The world was covered with darkness. And the people dwelt in thick darkness. No wonder Isaiah said in Isaiah 6, he said, Arise and shine. For your light has come. For the glory of God is upon you. He said, Darkness covers the earth. And thick darkness inside the peoples. There are two degrees of darkness. The darkness that covers the earth. And the thick darkness that is seated in the hearts of men. And this darkness is the government of Satan. Is the government of death. Is the government of sin. Is the government of the grave. Is the government of everything you can see negative. Is the government of corruption. Is the government of decadence. Is the government of pain, hopelessness, depression. Is the government of lawlessness, of disobedience. Is a government that has nothing good in it. You see, but light has come. Light has come. So those who walk in darkness in the earth. The light of God has visited them. Oh, the grace of God has appeared. When light shows up, grace appears. And when grace shows up, shows up it means God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit has manifested. And who, who can withstand the day of his coming? The book of Malachi says, who can withstand the day of his coming? He's like a refiner's fire. He's, a, he's like the full akalai. He will refine the house of Israel. He will refine the house of Levi. He's a refiner. When that light comes, it burns up anything that stands against us. It shatters the gates of hell. It destroys the limitations, the frustrations. We will go. That's the joy of the season. This is what we are celebrating. And we are in it already. And we shall walk in it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. For every boot of the ramping warriors in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burnt as the fuel for the fire. Oh, everything negative will be burnt. Everything negative will be burnt. You see, as we are celebrating this, I wish you can see things happening in the spirit. A lot is going on in the spirit right now. You know, whatever happens in the realm of the physical is well orchestrated and cooked up in the spirit. What we see happen every day are not accidents. They are well orchestrated. These are orderly, you know, arrange realities from the spirit, either from the spirit of darkness or from the spirit of light. All we call accident is because, we call them accident because we don't understand how they operate and how they came to be. So we call them accident. Nothing is an accident, you see. So whatever you see that happens physically has already happened in the realm of the spirit. And so, likewise, as the Lord is manifesting to us, a lot is going on in the spirit right now. And as we continue to you know, transgress the, the dimension of days, we will see ourselves walking in the grace that God is making available for us at this point in time. He is called a wonderful counselor, the mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Let us look at this, you know, uh, portfolio of Jesus one more time, okay? Why are they calling call him wonderful? Is Jesus not wonderful? Jesus is wonderful. What has happened is a wonder. It's a wonder. The angels could not keep quiet about it. It's a wonder. You mean God finally came again to us? The God that chased us out of the garden? The same God has come again in flesh. What is so special about human beings that God will decide to put on flesh to come? It's a wonder. It's a wonder. If you want to understand what this means, 
Maybe we have to pray for you today. Eh? Are we together here? Eh, we are going to pray now for some people to become ants. Eh? Eh, so that they can become ants. Eh? Don't you like it? You know, because we need, you know, we need the ants world to, to experience some emancipation. And we are deciding that you become ant. Okay? Become ant, eh? Why say no? Eh, you don't want to become ant. You want to be still remain a human being, right? But in, if you have to place it you know, side by side with God, that's what God did. He decided to take a state that looks like ant for us. The Bible says even though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God. He emptied himself, became like human beings. And not just human beings, but he became a servant. And was obedient to his father. And God is telling you now, become an ant. You are saying no. But Jesus was obedient. He came here as a human being, walking around. God, the creator of the universe, walked around, was hungry, subjected himself to the human frailties, was tired, was even begging for water, asking somebody, please, can you give me water? And the person was arguing against the one who created the water. Is that all wonderful? If that does not touch you, hey, then there's a problem somewhere. Because it's something that should touch us. It's a wonderful thing. And that should escape our minds. For God to have taken this step and allowed himself to pass through this to search for you, oh, you can't let it go that way. You must appreciate it. You must know that he's serious with you. And if after taking these steps and has passed through this and you did not experience the reason for these processes, then, oh, sorry. <laughs> may, that be not, may that not be a portion in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. He is called the counselor. He is the counselor for defense. That's what it means here. You know what he's called the counselor for defense? He's the one who stands for you. He argues your case before God. Despite all that has happened, when he brings you to the Father, he would stand for you as your advocate, as your counselor. Counsel for defense. He will defend you to the last minute. He will defend you to the last case. To make sure you win. He is standing that you must win in every case that hits your heart. Every situation that comes to your life, Jesus is saying, I stand as your counselor to make sure you win. Praise the Lord. Can you see how he thinks about us? He wants to win in the race of life. He wants to win in everything that concerns you. He wants you to win. And so, for you to win, he will cancel you. He will stand for you to defend you while he is canceling you. He will tell you what to say. He will tell you how to act. He will tell you how to move. He will tell you, wait, don't move now. He will watch and see the best time for you to move. Then he will give the instrument. He will give the instruction. And then you will move. He is our counselor. He cancels us. He said, I know my ship. My ship know me. They hear my voice, and I give them eternal life. And because he's our counselor, we are winners in life. We will win in every situation. Amen. We shall not be losers. Amen. He's in our means to counsel us. He's in our means to give us instruction. And when he tells us to go, we go. And when we go, we shall not become losers. If he tells us to stop, we stop. And when he says don't fight, we don't fight. And then we shall still win without fighting. Shout a big amen. amen. He is a counselor. He is a mighty God. He is a God that has all the powers. But still, 
He is, his power is under control. He is the mighty God. So don't forget that. You are dealing with a God who is a warrior. You are dealing with a God who is a master strategist when it comes to battle. He knows how to fight. He knows how to orchestrate victory. He knows how to bring the enemy down. He knows how to bring the enemy to Waterloo. That's the God you're serving. That's what I have showed up. Which battle is knocking at the door of your life that you think he cannot win? He's the winner. No wonder David understood him as the Lord Sabaoth, the God of armies of Israel. And when a battle ensued, we saw what David did. He trusted in the capacity of that God to make manifest the counseling ability to bring that man down. And when David confronted Goliath, Goliath came rushing towards David to scare him. And instead of David to run backward, what happened? David himself ran towards Goliath. And Goliath began to throw javelin and all kinds of things against him. And the guy was simply, you know, manifesting grace. And then he started cursing him and saying, I curse you. And David was busy singing his own songs. Say, so come against me with javelin. You come against me with your charms. You come against me with all your war implements. But I come against you in the name of the Lord God Sabaoth, the God of Israel. Today, I will cut off your head. With what? He had only a pebble in his hands. But this counselor has told him, that knife today, you will handle it and use it to cut his head. Only him heard it, but Goliath didn't know. And when he said, I will cut off your head, Goliath said, excuse me, you have no knife in your hand? Which knife are you going to use? Amen. Amen. God will give you the knife. Amen. When you look defenseless, don't, you don't think you are defenseless. So there's a wisdom that governs that. He is the mighty God. And eventually what happened? That counselor told him, oh yeah, fling the stone. And when he flings the stone, God took over the stone and blasted the head of Goliath. And the giant with six toes and six fingers. You know, we have five fingers, right? The man has six fingers and six toes to tell you that his, the five fingers cannot sustain his weight. So he had to have six. That is strange. He was a strange human being. But David brought him down because David knew that he serves what? A mighty God. He is the everlasting father. Wow. Even though he's a mighty God, a God of justice, he's also a God who is a father. A father who has a family, who cares for his children. A father that is there to always preserve and protect the family. A father has interest in his family. You know what the Bible says in Psalm 149? The Lord takes delight in his people. When he looks at us, he gives him joy. He gives him pleasure. You see, no wonder he will come to relate with us. He comes to fellowship with us. You've got to understand where you belong. You've got to know the God you are serving. You've got to know the way he sees you. You need to understand how he places you in his heart. He says, whoever touches you is what? Touching the apple of my eyes. Yes. Touch not my anointed and do my prophets no harm. We must discover this love and be braggadocious about it. Be bold about it. Paul says, whoever wants to boast, let him boast in the Lord. Boast in the Lord. Be energized by the presence of God. Let God that is in your heart become the expression of your mouth. In the face of weakness, boast in the Lord. In the face of difficulty, boast in the Lord. In the face of calamity, boast in the Lord. Refuse to be intimidated. Refuse to crawl, be crushed under pressure. Refuse. You belong to a family that is everlasting. You belong to a God that is there for you as your father. Say, God is my father. God is my father. Yes. 
Just any, any, any child will see his parents and say, this is my daddy. And because daddy is there, the child can do anything. The child can stand against someone who is threatening him and say, come and touch me. Come and touch me. You know? And as he's saying that, he's not depending on his own strength. He's looking at the dad who is at the back there. And the dad is just standing there. Maybe I stand up my, myself. And the guy is one kind of short person like that. And so can touch him and see. Touch him and see. You know? That's how it, that's how it is. And so that's what David was doing. When he was saying, today I'll cut off your head. The guy was watching God the Father sitting on his throne with all the military angels wait, waiting and watching what is happening. I have an everlasting Father. I have an everlasting Father. He is the highest daddy I have. No daddy can be compared with him. Amen. Praise the Lord. He is the Prince of Peace. He said, my peace I give unto you. Have you received that peace? You know, many Christians, especially we Catholics, we come to church every Sunday and every day, and at Mass, he said, my peace I give unto you. My peace I give unto you. Have you ever collected that peace? Have you collected it? If you have collected it, why the troubles in your heart? Why the worries? Why the hopelessness? Why the giving up? He said, my peace I give unto you. Not the peace of the world. He differentiated it. The world will give you peace. But the peace of the world is war. But he said, my peace I give unto you. Oh, for him to have given us the peace, it means he knows it's a necessity here. And you must receive it by faith. If God has given me peace, I refuse to worry. I refuse to be troubled. I refuse to be despondent. I refuse to be crushed. I refuse to be sad. Things that, are, that will make you sad will come. Things that will worry your heart will come. Things that will bash into you will come. And all of that is to make you lose your peace. And once you lose your peace, you have lost your alignment with God. God cannot flow into you. That's why he said, and my peace I give unto you. He's the prince of peace. You can't relate to him and not have peace. You can't relate to him without having the tranquility of your soul. All the worries of life, all the emptiness, all the inferiority complex will disappear by the presence of the peace of Christ that comes. We don't feel big because we have big things in the physical world. We feel big because we are full of faith. We feel big because we have God inside. We feel big because we are full of, we have, we are full of the substance of God. Because the true riches are not the things you see physically. The true riches are what? The substance of God in the soul of a man. Shout a big amen. amen. So the world should not give us the standard of living. The world should not tell us how to be successful. Success is success in God. Man can be successful in the physical things of life, but in God he's zero. And that is darkness. So having Jesus is having the wealth of the nations. That is it. That is it. He's the prince of peace. My life has come in, in resonance with God. My life has come in, you know, in alignment with God. Wow. I have peace in my soul. I have peace in my body. I have peace in my life. I refuse to worry. Things of what will come, I will shut the door of my heart and say, no, you will not come in. I don't need peace to come from any human being to me because I'm a carrier of peace already. I relate to the prince of peace. Why the devil is a prince of darkness. He's a prince of troubles. We must catch this grace. As we are preparing to step into 2022, even though the cloud is gloomy, I have the peace of Christ in my heart. 
Oh, they'll say, and that variance is going to come. I have the peace of Christ in my heart. We must learn to make this thing we say real in our hearts. The problem is that we, we say them, but when, when we step into the, the real world, we, we, we shy away. We begin to put our trust in men's knowledge and men's wisdom and think that that's going to be the, the thing that will save us. But as a God, if he says a word, he stands by it and makes sure that it doesn't fall on the ground. He said the words I've sent to you, eh? they can't come back to me void. Men will send their own words. It will come back void. In as much as we appreciate the, the impact of human wisdom and what it does, hey, child of God, remember, Nothing is above faith. No, nothing is above the substance of God. In as much as we believe the report of men, the Bible says the report of God is greater. The report of this God we serve is greater. And so what do I do in life? Me, personally, what do I do in life? First of all, I accept the realities of men. I say, oh, that's good. Thank God for the development. But at the same time, too, I hold on to the report of God. Because when life gets toughest, the only thing that stands is the report of God. So in your journey of life, hold on to God's word while you see accept the report of men. Yes. Don't argue with them. Don't resist them. Yes, sometimes it works, but sometimes too, it fails. It doesn't matter how scientific it may look. They may have all kinds of scientific reasons why we should trust the report of men. But we have seen that many times too, even them who believe in it have also seen it disappoint them. But the report of God is forever. The report of the God we serve is forever. He is the Prince of Peace. If he gives you peace and you truly receive it, the report of men means nothing. Why did Isaiah give us this profile? He's trying to tell you, hey, in case you don't understand who is born, this is who he is. He has come. He has done his own part by coming. Now it's our own part to receive him. And the Bible says, as men who receive him, he empowers them to becoming children of God. And because you're not a child of God, you enjoy the dividend of his government, the government of wonder, the government of counselor, the government of the mighty God, the government of the blessed father, the government of the prince of peace. How many points agenda here? How many? One, two, three, four, five. <laughs> so when you receive Jesus, you activate five dimensions of the government of Christ in your life. You are covered. Amen. We are covered. We are covered. We must understand this and must release our faith to the finished work of Christ. So you are serving a God who is a God of wonder. Your life will not be far from the wonders of God in the name of Jesus Christ. You are serving a God who is a counselor. You will not be confused with the God of life. He will teleguide you. He will give you the steps to take. He will cancel you into victory. He will cancel you into divine health. He will cancel you into, into, into goodness. He will cancel you into righteousness. He will cancel you. He will speak in your heart. He will cancel you into being a victorious person in battle. The battle of life will confront you. He will tell you how to win. And you always win. Shout a big amen. amen. He will give you his peace. He will give you his peace. 
His peace is, just, is beyond just tranquility. He decrees that there's no war that should take place in your life. It's called shalom. Shalom means no more war. There's war everywhere, but it says no more war in this territory. See, today the prophet Israel, they are enjoying that, that dividend. If you look at all the countries around Israel, eh, all of them, they are all shattered and battered. Only Israel is standing alone as a progressive nation in the Middle East. Because God gave them his peace. And as they are in peace, they are more stronger in warfare than any other nation around them. You see that? They are the best in the military in the whole world. They are a small nation. They are the wealthiest. The wealth of the nations in the, is in the hand of the Israelis. Take off intelligence. They are the best scientists in the world. An arid land where there is no rain, but they produce the best of food more than those who have rain. Is it normal? It's a God of wonder that is with them. And so if Israelites of the flesh can enjoy such blessings, how more, how much more the Israelites of the spirit who are now participators in the commonwealth of Israel. And so they are, they are progressive in life. We should also be progressive in life. As they are victorious in life, we should be also be what? Victorious in life. As they are wealthy and abounding in, 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 in currency, we should, we should be abounding in wealth and different currencies. The blessings of Abraham are also our own uh, blessings. And when this is put in perspective, we will see that the second reading will come our reality. He said the grace of God has appeared for the salvation of all men, training us to renounce irreligion. This grace has come to train you. You must be trained. You know, so there are some Christians who feel that, ah, I'm baptized, I receive communion, I don't need training any longer. Ah, you are fooling yourself. You are fooling yourself. God did not just call you to be baptized and receive communion. He has called you to be trained. That's why he said if you want to be a disciple, a disciple is a student who wants to be trained. He said you must deny yourself. You must carry your cross. You must follow. Three things that enrolls you into the school of discipleship. You must deny yourself. It is a deny the word. He said deny yourself. You must take up your cross. And then you must follow. So he says this life, this grace is, has come to train us to learn to renounce irreligion. Irreligion. Anti-religion. You don't like the things of the spirit. You don't like the spirit life. You don't like the life that God demands from us. He said that life has come to train you to begin to renounce irreligion. And what? And worldly passions. There are passions that come from God. There are passions that come from the world. Which passion rules your soul today? What are the things you love? Is it the things that the world likes that you love? The Bible says friendship with the world is what? Automatic what? Enmity with God. You don't need to say, I'm, I'm, I'm against God. No, 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 no. By your passions, you can either become a friend of God or an enemy of God instantly. What you choose to run your soul determines whether you are a friend of God or an enemy of God. And don't allow yourself to start fighting God by your passions. Don't love what the world loves. They may deceive us and fear and say, ah, that's life. It's not life. It's deception. So whatever way you are a victim of the passions of the world in 2021, as you are stepping to 2022, receive grace to break away from it and then return your passion for God in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. He said, and to live sober, live sober, not a noisy life, 
people live noisy life. They want to brandish everywhere. They want everybody to see them. Anything they do, they want the crowd to see. They live a loud life. Everything is, oh, everything is uh, how do I call it, is surplusage all the time. They can't live a quiet life. They can't live a, a fulfilled life. They can't live a life of serenity. Everything must be, must, be, must be brandished. Everything must be seen. Everything must be meant to be seen. No. That life is the life of the world. The world lives that way. He said, don't live that, that way. He said, live sober. Upright and godly lives in this world awaiting our blessed hope. Wow. Awaiting our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great, our great God and Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. He will come, again, come back again. Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all iniquity, to purify us as a people of his own who are zealous for the good deed. So the Lord is admonishing us as we are clocking the end of the year, celebrating this great moment of grace, that we should what? Live soberly. Live soberly. Amen. Amen. Live a quiet life. Don't be noisy. Live a simple but stupendous life. Don't be too gorgeous. Everything about you is gorgeousity. No, 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 no. There is simplicity that dominates. There is gorgeousity that is shadow. When you see something very gorgeous, look into it very well. It has shallow depth. But there are things you see that appear very simple, but are very deep in stature and in structure. It's a wisdom for winners. Watch people who are so deep in wealth. They are the most simplest people you meet. But meet all those people who are just, uh, who just, uh, who by chance carry small wheelbarrow. They will make all the noise in this world. But when the stark rent of life hits them, you will see them coming down. Amen. Amen. And as God's people that have been positioned to work with a God who is going to be blessing us and blessing us more and more. We must learn to live soberly. Hallelujah. Live uprightly. Upright life. You know? Let your hands be clean. Let your thoughts be clean. Live for him alone. You mustn't live a life that everybody must see you. You know, everything you do must be seen as you're the right person. No. Live a clean life. The Bible says clean the inside and the outside will be clean. Pursue righteousness. Pursue right living. Make it a, 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 a reality to pursue. As a Christian, it's your goal. Let it be part of your goal in 2022 that yes, I'm going to intensify my living right with God. Every, every month I must assess myself. How have I lived this, this, this month? What award did I do? Not just abstaining from evil, but doing good. You know, there are some Christians who all believe that the, the Christian life is all about saying no to evil. Uh, I didn't do this, I didn't do this, I didn't do this. Then the question is, what did you do? It is the doing part that is the winning part. The restraining part is the healing part. Amen. Amen. Then say, live godly lives in this world. There are people 
who live sober, there are people who live upright, but they're not godly. Are you aware of that? Yes. They live upright, they live so- sober, but they're not godly. So the crown of your uprightness and live a sober life is so what? Live a godly life. That is the God kind of life. The God kind of life. That means that your culture will be the culture of God. This is what the Lord is demanding from us. And so we bless God for this admonition that have come and as God's people who have received it. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for coming our midst. We receive you in our hearts. We receive you in our souls. We walk with you. Be down exalted. Amen. 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 Come and take your place, O Lord. Come and take your place, O Lord, in my life. Come and take your place in my life. Come and take, come and take your place. Come and take. Your place, O Lord, come and take your place, O Lord, in my life, come and take.